in a, a series. So if you're new to Connect, we, uh, we teach the Bible like uh, sequentially, like in pieces, because you can't teach the whole Bible in one service, and, you know, it, and sometimes it doesn't make sense, and so we break it up. We call it a series. We're in a series called Legacy, How to Let Our Life Live On. And it has a special focus in the series on our resources, because uh, you can't take all your money with you, but you can send it on ahead. It's quiet in this Catholic church. Wow, you guys didn't even get what I, what I meant. So in other words, you can do something here that's an investment there. All right, we're going to turn to your neighbor and punch them in the face. Just make sure they're actually alive, okay? Are they actually alive? Uh, am I preaching in the same church? Is this my church? Okay, I just want to make sure. Okay, so talk back to me once in a while. So anyway, we're talking about resources, and there's a direct connection between what's in your wallet and what's going on in your heart, and so we've been taking several weeks to talk about that. How many have been here for the whole series? Raise your hand. Okay, all right. Well, that's the problem. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, no, I'm just kidding. But we're, we're, uh, we, we're looking at different stories in the Bible that relate to resources. In fact, um, there's 2,350 scriptures related to resources in the Bible, and there's 16 parables or stories in the Bible that talk about, talk about money. And so we've been looking at some of those stories and unpacking those and kind of getting some principles from those that we can apply to our life. And one of the things that I've said at the outset is this isn't about increasing funds for you or funds for the church. This is about increasing faith for you and faith in our church. Amen? Amen. And that was a weak amen. And I'm going to get you one way or the other. If I have to come down and start walking through the aisles with a handheld mic, I will. Okay. So what I'm, what I'm trying to get you to see is that um, there's, there's maybe nothing that stretches you in your faith like touching, pe- touching the money thing, touching the treasure. You know, my dad, when he, he was, a, uh, I'm, the, I'm a succession to my dad who started this ministry. When he installed me as a pastor, uh, he said, be, make, be, be sure that these three things never control you, the girls, the glory, and the gold. Because those are, the, those are three big enemies in life. Those are the things that can take you down. You can spend your whole life building a reputation, and you can lose it in a second by how you handle the gold how you handle your money. God knows that, and so he addresses it honestly pretty strong. And, there, and I'll just say this, and, and you can think what you want about me, but I don't have time to qualify. Like, because I'm free in this area, um, you need to hear this series. You need this. And it gets quiet because it's kind of like, I love how it hurts. It's how we should respond. Because, because you can tell what you love by what's going on in your wallet, in your checkbook. I can tell you what you love by your checkbook. You can just look at it. You can say, what's important to me? Where did my money go? You know, you can use your money. You can blow your money. You can grow your money. And you can sow your money. But a lot of people are not growing it and not sowing it. I think those should be the two highest things in our life. Sowing it, giving it to God, and saving it. Making sure that we're doing something that's laying up for a future. Can I have an amen out there? Okay, you guys are getting it. Come on, somebody. Turn to your neighbor and say, this is going to be good whether I like it or not. Okay. <laughs> now, now uh, the, the message title today is called The Multiplication Test. The Multiplication Test. And, I, and, and, and today is, is a special day. If you're new to Connect, uh, this is not for you. This is, you get to audit this. Just check it out, sneak in, sneak out. You can make an assessment from outside in. But basically, we're doing something we never do at Connect, which is very unusual for a church. Um, we're, we're taking an offering today. 
We're taking, we call it a legacy offering. We don't pass a plate in church. People come, uh, the lights turn on, uh, bills are paid, vision is, is con- progresses because people are following what God says in his word, and they're bringing their, their tithes and their offerings to church every single week. And so we just say something about it, but we don't do anything in front of people, pass plates. That's really unusual for church. But, but once in a while, everybody say once in a while. We take an offering. And so this is the first time this year in 2019 we're taking an offering. So if you're here for the first time, well, I don't know what to say to you. That's just interesting that you came on that day. Okay. Uh, You know, welcome. (laughs) Um, But don't feel any obligation or pressure to do anything. That is not the intent of, of this of this message. There's no manipulation. I'm just teaching what the Bible says. And so we have a le- legacy offering. And, and this really should be called the miracle offering because, um, because something happens when everybody does their part. When everybody does their part, you know, uh, there's, there's a thing in, we used to say in theology, you know, set apart lest you come apart. So you got to like set apart in your heart to God, you know, consecrate your life, live a godly life. But sometimes you need to give your part so that you don't come apart in your spiritual life. You got to give a part of yourself. Amen. And so this is a miracle offering, or I'd like to say a multiplicative offering, because when everybody does their part, God does something miraculous, something multiplicative. And when I was in school, um, I wasn't the greatest student. Um, I had a couple of of, of high, highlights, you know, in college, the, the last part, the final year of my college career, I had a great, I had a great year. Um, I, I had a couple of highs in high school. For the most part, though, I struggled and struggled in school. Uh, I wasn't good in a few subjects, uh, reading, writing, arithmetic, science, history. Uh, did I get, okay. But no, I was, I was pretty good in English. I was good in English, communications, writing, things like that. And I was decent in math. Uh, I like math. I like aspects of math. I don't like you know, counting and things like that, but I liked financial accounting. I liked forecasting. I liked certain aspects, uh, problem solving and, and math. But one thing I was good at when I was young was uh, multiplication. And I used to have a teacher that drilled me on my multiplication tables. Anybody have a teacher like that? Anybody, you know, thinks they're good in multiplication? Anybody? Anybody? Nobody wants to raise their hand because you know I'll call you out based on the way the service has gone so far. Uh, <laughs> uh, but I was pretty good. You know what I mean? They, they, we would just have to rattle these things off. Eight times eight, 64, eight times nine, 72. You know, whatever it is, seven times 49. I, 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 could, I was just boom, boom, boom. And I'm still to this day. It's just, it's easy for me. And I used to go like up into higher numbers. And uh, it's just weird. I could just. I can just see it. But I had a teacher who pushed me through my lazy mind. And my teacher used to always call us out of our seat and make us go to the board. Derek, come to the board. In my head, I was a wise guy. I was like, in my head, I'm thinking, I am bored. <laughs> Why do I got to go there? I'm already there, you know. And then we get, and I want you to solve this ridiculously long multiplication problem. It would be like, you know, all the way across the board, you know, kind of, it, that's how I see it now. And get up here and I want you to do this ridiculously difficult, long problem. That's my translation. And I'd be like, <laughs> again, I was a wise guy. I was like, why, why do we need long problems? Don't we have enough problems in the world already, Mr. Ingvall? And, uh, and he just do the problem. And what I didn't realize that in order to understand multiplication, it was always preceded by a test. And in that test, what he did is he made me get outside of my comfort zone. And so we're going to talk about the multiplication benefits that come uh, from God's word are always preceded by a test. God actually solves problems multiplicatively. 
He does. That's how he, that's how he fixes things. That's how he solves things. When he gets involved, he gets involved big. When he gets involved, he gets, he gets involved multiplicatively. Is everybody with me right now? And so wouldn't it be great if God multiplied your resources? Yeah, it'd be awesome. Okay, then. So there, what are the secrets to that? And so I, I didn't know some of these, but now I realize there were certain tests. So we're going to look at a scripture in John 6 in a few minutes where it highlights uh, a test that preceded multiplication. But first, I want to kind of give you a little background. I want to put you into the story a little bit by looking at another version of this story. We're going to look at the feeding of the 5,000. How many ever heard that story that Jesus fed 5,000 people with, you know, some fishes and loaves of bread, right? It's an amazing, amazing story. We typically pass right by it. Well, it's in multiple places within the Bible. Um, the Gospels, the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, hold the horse while I get on. That's how my daddy used to help me remember it. But in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, those are known as the synoptic Gospels, the synoptic Gospels. That means they have certain distinct similarities to them. There's some differences, but there's some, dis- there is some strong relationship. There are a lot of similarities between those. And then John is not a part of the synoptic gospels. Uh, typically, when you look at the gospels, three of them are about, three of them, I'm math, right? Three of them are about what Jesus did, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. John is more about who he was, who Jesus was, okay? But we're going to look at Luke, John, and Matthew at the very end, just a little bit. So now in the book of Luke, chapter 9, I'm going to read this to you really, really fast, and then I'm going to have you imagine yourself in the story with me, okay? It says this, But when the multitudes knew it, they followed him, and he received them and spoke to them about the kingdom of God. Verse 12, And he healed those who had need of healing. And when the day began to wear away, everybody remember that, when the day began to wear away, what does that mean? It means it's coming to an end, okay? It's the end of the day. It says the 12 Uh, came and said to Jesus, send the multitudes away that they may go into the surrounding towns and country and lodge and, and get some food for we are in a deserted place here. But he said to them, you give them something to eat. And they said, we have no more than five loaves and two fish unless we go and buy food for all these people. For there were about 5,000 men. Then he said to his disciples, make them sit down in groups of 50. And they did so. And he made them all sit down. Then he took the five loaves and the two fish, and looking up to heaven, he blessed and he broke the bread, and he gave them to the disciples to set before the multitude. So they all, all of them ate, and they were all filled, and 12 baskets of the leftover fragments were taken up by them. I heard it said that the 12 baskets that were left over were doggy bags for the 12 disciples. Come on, somebody. (laughs) So here's what's going on. I want you to try to put yourself, I'm going to use a little pastoral license. I've heard other pastors talk about this a little bit, a little creative license, okay? So basically, there are 5,000 men, it says. In the different books of the Bible, you can get little nuggets. One place it says, not including women and children. So that means if they were married, there were 10,000. If they had two children, there were 20,000. Multiplication, I'm testing you guys right now. Framingham, are you doing better online? Come on. Okay. Um, so it could be 20, 30,000 people. Uh, theologians believe it was the most people Jesus ever spoke to at one time was at this particular time. Because this is a big, big meeting. And Jesus has got a following 
a mile long. He is, he's got his blue check on Instagram. He's a public figure on Facebook. Like, everybody wants to be around Jesus. He's getting all these bookings and all these speaking engagements because he's done all these miracles. And he's got his 12 around him, kind of his promotional team. You know what I mean? And because they want to take over. They want to they see Jesus, you know, kind of be king. And so they're all excited. But this meeting is going on and on and on. And I think they're getting concerned about the people. No, they're getting concerned about themselves. But they, ta- they start talking and they're like, okay, uh, uh, Jesus, does he know how long he's been going on? I mean, uh, the people <laughs> are tired and they're hungry. And so I think they talk amongst themselves. They send a little representative, maybe one of the 12. I personally believe it was Philip based on looking at some of the other translations. And they send Philip out to Jesus while he's preaching to the multitudes. Thousands and thousands of people out here. Jesus is talking. And then from this little posse, his little marketing crew, comes Philip. Um, Excuse me, Lord. <laughs> Time up. Hi, everybody. Hey. Hey. Selfie moment. What's up? You know what I mean? Uh, God, um, Jesus, um, wow, incredible series. I'm really sorry to interrupt right now. Uh, it's amazing how you've wrapped a whole series into one day. Um, just incredible how you do that. I'm all about it. Like, I could go all day long. But, but, uh, but, but, the, but the guys, they're exhausted, okay? And, uh, well, it's actually more about the people. And we know you love the people, God. And so um, they're getting tired. And uh, the restaurants are going to close. And uh, the hotels are wrapping it up pretty soon. And so do you think we could kind of <laughs> wrap it up, Jesus? Jesus looks at Philip and it's just like, well, feed him. Get him something to eat. Uh, come again, Jesus. Uh, feed all of them. Uh, yeah, feed him. Feed him. Okay. So then Philip goes back to his little posse and they're like, what did he say? What did he say? Did you tell him what we said? He's like, yeah, I told him what we said. We need to feed people and wrap it up. What did he say? What did he say? He said, get him something to eat. What? And right in the middle of that, a little boy, he's, he's walking by. He hears the whole thing. He's like, oh, my gosh, I've got five pita loaves from Panera Bread and two fish that my mom just bought me. You guys, if you want, that's not five. This is five. If you want, I see I'm math, math. If you want, you guys can have this. And so Peter snags it. He starts eating the pita bread. They're yelling at him, Peter, don't eat it. Don't eat it. That's all we have. One of the guys like, what do you mean that's all we have? Oh, my gosh, that's the answer. That's all we have. What are you talking about? Tell Jesus that all we have is just this to feed all of that. Philip, go back out there and tell him what's going on. Why do I have to tell him? Because you were so good and you had to take your little selfie. Why don't you go back out there? So Philip sneaks back out. Uh, time of high. Hi, everybody. Uh, 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 Lord, um, yeah, I'm sorry to interrupt you again. Again, I could go all day. This is an incredible series that you're doing. Um, people are bringing out flashlights, but we are loving this series. Um, so we went on, we, we listened to what you said because we're your disciples. And um, we've been on a little recon mission. And um, all we could come up with was this uh, and a couple of fish sticks. And uh, so um, for all of that, um, so what we're thinking is, you know, maybe you should just wrap it up. What do you think? What do you think? Um, no, that's good. Uh, have them sit down in groups of 50. No, uh, no, 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 no. I don't, I don't think you understand. Uh, this, 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 we don't have a lot of these. We have just this to feed all of that. 
Yeah, yeah, I understand that. Have them sit down in groups of 50, okay? Okay, uh, okay, 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 okay. So he goes back to his committee. What did he say? What did he say? He said, have them sit down in groups of 50. What? Okay, so this, this is the story, okay? And, and so now we're going to look at John chapter 6, all right? This is in your notes. Look at John chapter 6 with me. I got Peter Brett all over me. All right. In John chapter 6, are you watching online? Are you with me, okay? Everybody engage. John 6, it says it like this. This is just another aspect of the story. I want to come back to that test moment. It says, uh, sometime after this, Jesus crosses the far shore of the Sea of Galilee, and this great crowd of people follow him because they saw the signs that he performed, right? That's why he's such a rock star. He's healing the sick. And the Jewish Passover festival was near. When Jesus looked up and he saw this huge crowd coming towards him, he said to Philip, so when Philip came up in this version, he says to Philip when he comes up, yo, 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 uh, how are we going to feed all these people, Philip? And Philip's <laughs> looking at him like, why are you asking me? You know? And the Bible says, he sa it says, um, he asked, Jesus asked Philip this only to what? To test him. Turn to your neighbor and say, test. Multiplication test, okay? He asked this only to test him, for he already had in mind what he was going to do. Oh, well, then another disciple comes up behind him and, 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 and basically says, um, it would take more than a half a year's wages. No, Philip said this. It would take more than a half a year's wages to buy enough bread for each one to have just a bite. Another of his disciples, here's the other one, Simon Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, spoke up. He said, okay, well, here's the five fishes and loaves. I've got the pita bread. Uh, here's the deal. Uh, you can have this, these loaves, these two small fish. But how far is this going to go to so many? Just put yourself in this story and think about that's what it was like. Five pita, a couple fish. And 20, 30,000 people sitting on a hill. What would you do in that situation? Right? I mean, think about it. Here's the thing. I want you to write this down. God will sometimes test to reveal our trust. God will sometimes test to reveal our trust. My daddy used to say it like this. Faith that isn't tested can't be trusted. So you say, I have faith. Oh, that's great. But has it been tested? Nope. Then you don't have faith. You can't rely on that. Faith that isn't tested can't be trusted. God will sometimes test us to reveal our trust. And so this little boy's lunch is presented in the story. Um, and something small and insignificant does something huge. What's cool about the story is we don't even know the little boy's name. I, I think it's incredible. I think some of the greatest miracles when we get to heaven will be people we didn't even know their names. But you know what? God knows their names. God knows people and the sacrifices they make. He sees when, what we do. He sees what we give. We learned this in the story of the poor, I say, old widow story. He saw her give. He notices. He notices the donations right down to a little lunch. He notices. He sees the, 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 the person who paid for somebody's groceries. He sees when you help somebody and you filled up their gas tank because they let you borrow their car. He sees when you give something sacrificial to the vision of a church. He sees that stuff. And so you may give something significant today. You may not. You may do it another day. You need to know something. God sees and God knows your name. Can I have an amen out there? Amen. And so in the story, there's this hungry crowd and there's huge need and it's disproportionate, clearly, to the resource. 
totally disproportionate to the resource. Five pieces of pita bread and two fish sticks, okay? And here's the thing that I see in the story. It's amazing. Uh, God uses people in this story and the gifts that they have that are present to perform a miracle. God uses people and the gifts or the resources or the means that they have and he, and he used what's present to perform that miracle. So you could have come to church today and you thought, oh, I'm going to go to church today and I'm going to worship and I'm going to get my worship on and I'm going to have my praise break moments and, uh, and I'm going to listen to a cool message and I'm going to have some coffee, some heavenly nectar and, and you just think, and it's just going to be a kumbaya day for you, awesome. But God's like, no, 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 I'm looking down from heaven and, I'm, and I can see a miracle on this end, but it's connected to the people who are present and the gifts they already have. It's all connected as far as he can see. And so that means what? That means God wants to use you. God wants to use you. Those of you who are, you are online, you can participate in this as well today. God will always get his people up to the problem. A problem is just connected to vision. Anytime people have vision for something, it's going to solve a problem. Because how many know this world is jacked up? Right? It's filled with problems. And I think that the church should be, it is in business or stays in business because it solves problems. And one of the ways we solve problems is with our, our time, our talent, and our treasure, the things, the resources that we have. And so God always brings people up to problems, whether it was David, uh, you know, and his talent uh, with his sling and his stone, bringing him up to Goliath, whether it was uh, Philip in the New Testament, bringing him to the Ethiopian eunuch who didn't understand the, understand the scriptures and opened up his eyes and saw him baptized, or a little boy with a little lunch, bringing him up to a multitude. God always brings people up to the need before he performs a miracle. Are you with me? And so, we, you know, these guys saw it differently. And they, they, they see it the way sometimes we see it. They saw it through nat the, the nature of man versus the nature of God. See, the nature of man is this. We've got five loaves, 5,000 men, and two fish. Uh, it's going to have to be really itty-bitty pieces. Can you imagine when they first started passing it out and some guy goes in there and rips off a big piece? And, ho, ho, ho. Peter probably wanted to punch him in the face, cut off his ear or something. Like, yo, 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 little pieces. Little. You know? What would that have been like? Because that's what they were thinking through a human nature, not God's nature. Here's the thing. Write this down. A principle is this. Don't do the math. Just do your part. Don't do the math. Just do your part. In John 6, verse 7, it says, it would take more than a half a year's wages to buy enough bread for each one to have a bite. What was he doing? He was doing the math. He was looking around. He's like, okay, this would be about a half a year's wages in order to give people just one bite. Human nature, he's doing the math. God doesn't want you to do the math. If you want to see him intervene in your life, you just do your part and you let him do the math. Turn to your neighbor and say, Amen. That's for me. Because, see, if I do the math, then what happens is I'll think, what good is it? How can this accomplish anything, what I have? Uh, uh, it's too big. The need's too big. The multitudes are too many. If I do this, then I won't be able to, to do that. And God's going to keep me from doing something that's important to me. We're just doing the math. That's why I told you guys, listen, those of you listening online, that's why I, I encourage our church to pray. I didn't, I, I didn't say, go home, check your budget, look what you have. That was second. 
The first step was talk to God. Can I just have an accountability moment with no response? Did you do that? I encourage you guys. It's so important that you, you, if you want God involved in your finances, talk to him. Talk to him first, right? The cool thing is we can all participate in a day like today or days like today proportionately. In 1 Corinthians 16, 2, it's not in your notes, but we give proportionate to what we have. And God will use whatever percentage. Some of you, a lot is a little. And it doesn't matter compared to maybe somebody else. But God's, not look, God's looking at what you have in your hand and what you can give to him. And watch what he does with that. This little boy had a small meal. What if he kept that meal for himself and ate it? You know, what if he just like, I don't know about you all, but my mama loved me. <laughs> she went to Panera Bread and I got the hookup. Sorry, sucker fools. <laughs> you know, and just started eating all that, you know. What, what, what if he did that? Listen, would you have eaten the meal? See, I, I think I thought about that, and my first response to God was, no, I would have given it to the people. And God was like, I know why, son. I go, why? He goes, because you're gluten-free. <laughs> okay, you got me, God. All right, I probably would have ate it because <laughs> I get hangry, Lord. Um, but, but think about it. What, what would have happened if he didn't give that meal? That, you, you think, well, that little bit, what could have done? Nothing would have happened if he hadn't done it. Nothing would have happened. Instead, he doesn't feed himself. He gives what was in his hands, and he feeds a multitude. And by the way, he was fed. He was still fed. Isn't it interesting that when you give to God what God tells you to do, whatever's in your hands, that he not only meets the need, there was leftovers, and the boy was fed too. And the 12 disciples went home with doggy bags. That's pretty cool. That's multiplication, but it was preceded by a test. Many of us are not experiencing how God could get involved in your finances. Try it. Test it. See what happens. If not today, do it sometime. If not here, do it somewhere. Watch what happens. I think this is good soil, so I would encourage you to do it in a church like ours. Can I have an amen? When we do what he tells us to do, he'll take care of you too. I didn't mean to rhyme, but that, that made sense, okay? And so I believe that some of you are here today in this situation where you have something in your hand and you could just eat it. You could just eat the seed or you could plant the seed. You could, you could do some, and God's, not, God's okay with you having some things for yourself. It's Christmas time's coming up. This is a time of consumption or compassion. It, you determine that. We try as a church, I am strategic to the max. More so, you hear me put things together and explain things. But I'm just telling you, behind the scenes, I am strategically trying to help people break the grip of resources on their hearts by being, ex by being generous. Because society will just get you all caught up in consumption and self-absorption and things that are all about you. It is more blessed to give than to receive. You'll be much happier this holiday by what you gave than what you got. Can I have an amen out there? And so, and, and together, when you do something together, instead of just by yourself out there in some philanthropic effort with, you know, at a grocery store going through a line, would you like to give to this? Would you like to give that? Hey, you can do all those things, but you can make a splash or you can create a wave by doing it with somebody else coming together and doing something strategic and that's what we're trying to provide for you because we're we, think about this last year we did a lot the year before that we did a lot but we have the opportunity to give thousands of bibles in pakistan to reach muslims who don't know jesus who are being saved by the hundreds of thousands 
We are directly connected to a man of God and to an organization that had 180,000 people at his last crusade. And when we give one Bible, it can reach as many as 12 people because they share the Bible we leave on our shelves. And you can make one small donation or commitment to make more of that possible. Uh, there's other things we do. We sponsor children in the Dominican Republic who uh, culturally shouldn't be successful. And we used to raise them to a certain level and to the sixth grade, and then we send them out into the world. Now we take care of them all the way through to their 18 years old. And we have vision. We don't have the resources for it yet, but we have vision to teach them a vocation and help them start businesses in the Dominican Republic. So they not only have the grit to overcome the cultural problems they have, but they can turn around and give back and employ people. That's possible when you give to something like this, to a legacy offering. You can come behind pastors. Pastors in New England in particular are my heart. I, we do things for all over the East Coast for pastors, but, but um, there are pastors that get so discouraged. And so the enemy knows the best way to shut this down, this whole thing, online, Framingham, all the things that we still have yet to come is to attack the pastors. I'm not saying that to exalt me. I'm just telling you, just if you were an enemy, what would be the, what would, what, how could you do the most damage? And so there are pastors all over New England that are discouraged. I was one of them at one time. And years ago, I, I remember sitting in my office, and I was discouraged because the church wasn't growing. I had a bigger vision than what I could see. I didn't know how to get there. I didn't have support. I didn't have the friends that I needed. And, I was, and, and we, were, we could barely rub two dimes together. Didn't know how I was going to pay for Christmas. Didn't know I could do something nice for my family. And a, a, a pastor that became my pastor sent me a check in the mail. And, and, and you, know what I, you know what I like to call him? I call it a honking check. Do you know what a honking check is? It means it's a big one for you at the time. And he sent me a honking check saying, this is just to bless you in the holidays. I wanted to encourage you. And I remember opening that and bawling my eyes out because somebody thought of me when I was discouraged to encourage me. And he said, this is just to bless you and your family. And I looked at that check before God. I'm standing here before God. And I said, one day I'm going to do that for as many pastors as I possibly can who feel discouraged. And we're not just going to equip them. We're not just going to encourage them. We're not just going to come behind them with our teams. But we're going to pour resources into them at strategic times when they need to be lifted up. And you know what? For several years, many years now, almost a decade now, every single Christmas time, we cut checks to pastors all over New England just bringing blessing because people like you give to a vision like this. Can I have an amen out there? I'm not done yet. We're, I, I've been doing this every week, little highlights, but we're part of a church planning organization. This, this, all, this offering today goes to all the things that I'm talking about. We're doing it anyway. You just speed it up by how much you give, okay? So if you don't do anything, we're still doing these things, Okay. We are part of a church planning organization. We are, we've been a part of it since 2001, and uh, we've been giving financially to it for many years. We've been taking our part and joining with other people's parts, and this is what's happened. In that period of time, 876 churches have been planted in the United States, 67 this year. Of those 67, 18,945 people were in attendance at these churches. The average size church of the launch was 283 people. And just this last year, in those new plants, on their first Sunday, 826 first-time decisions for Christ were made. You were a part of that. What could we do next year? What could we do? What could we do with an offering like this, you know? And I want to do things for us here locally, too, and I'm not ashamed to say that, but we've got a lot of kids in this ministry because a lot of you really love each other and keep producing a lot of kids. 
and they're all downstairs running around. And I thank God that I am not called, you know, to take care of those children because I probably duct tape them to the wall. But, sorry about that. You don't want me anywhere near your kids. No, I'm just kidding. I'm totally kidding. But all I'm saying is we want to provide a powerful, predictable, safe, secure, intimate environment for those kids. In order to do that, we have to train and equip teachers to learn how to do that. That requires sacrifice of people's time. We also have to create space that is excellent. And we're, and we're doing a good job with the resources we have. But listen, we're, we're growing, and we need to be able to make more space, and we need to be able to do a better job with that. And we want to reach kids. And we are. We're reaching kids from the womb all the way through. And in order for us to do that, we need to make investment in that. And we will, but we can do more with your giving. Can I have an amen out there? And so this little boy, he took what was in his hands and he put it in God's hands. He took it from mom's blessing to God's blessing on it because of what he did. When you give even the smallest amount, if that's what God told you, I think it's like the, it's like the grace grease. It oils your heart and lubricates your heart so that money and resources don't restrict what God wants to do. In it. You're not supposed to be a container of resources. You're supposed to be a conduit of resources. You should see that the Genesis 12 2 says, I'm blessed to be a blessing. I'm not, I don't give so I can get. I, I don't even now think like that. God will bless me because I bless other people, but that's not the preoccupation. God wants to rewire your thinking. And so it's not about increasing funds for myself. It's being used by God, so I, and then he blesses me so I can be used by God again. Does anybody see what I'm talking about right now? Years ago, we had a campaign here, and um, one of very few in my pastor. We called it Connect the Dots. See how clever that is? Connect the dots. And so we're, we're here, but we're going to go to there. And so one of the things that was on the vision plan was to renovate this facility so we could reach more people. And uh, that's, we did our common downstairs. You should have seen what that looked like before. <laughs> it's so crowded now. You guys are like, ah, you should have seen it before. Okay. It wasn't there. We just had a little hallway and everybody just kind of rammed in through a little artery on their way to the sanctuary. And um, so we renovated that, but we also raised money to be able to pour into the Framingham campus. So Framingham, that is sitting there in an auditorium right now, was made possible, hundreds of thousands of dollars to launch that campus, was made possible by what people gave in this church. And I can remember being behind closed doors with Pastor Deej, one of my pastors, and we were pulling in all the, the funds and organizing it all. And I, I, I'll just say this, that's one of the few times I look at people's giving, other than leaders up close to me, because I want to make sure they're leading by example. But I was blown away. I was blown away by people who had less that gave more. And there's just this correlation that the more wealth, the more our wealth increases, the more our giving decreases. Let it not be said of you. Let it not be said of Connect or this church. Don't let, don't let resources strangulate a heart of generosity in your life. Can I have an amen? amen. It's so important. And I, I, I'm so grateful because the fruit uh, where they're sitting right now, where they're enjoying church, is a byproduct of sacrifices that were made in this church right here. So every gift matters, everybody. $100, $200, $500, $5,000, dollars Some of you have means and capacity to do a lot. Uh, I want to be known, and I hope you want to be known. When I, when my epitaph one day will say something, hopefully like this in Jesus' name, that Derek Fry was a man of integrity and he was a man of generosity. He, he kept his word and, and, and he gave. He was generous. My, my kids, when, when I was young, they used to play church. They grew up in church, and then they still played church. 
You know you're doing a good job when your kids play church at home. You know what I mean? It's not always that way. But anyway, Mallory was the pastor in the church services at home. And the girls were the worship team. And Devin didn't go to church. He was a rebel. And uh, <laughs> he came around later. He got saved many years later. Uh, uh, but Mallory would organize the service, and, and the girls would, uh, they would do worship, and then Mallory would preach at the end. But during worship, they would sing the old songs, you know? And I don't remember all the songs we'd sing. It would take too much time. But they'd sing, Lord, I lift your name on high. Lord, I love to sing your prayer. Right? And they'd be singing. It was so cute because they had great little voices. And you came from heaven to earth to show the way from the earth to the cross. My debt will pay. Well, they, ch they, they changed the words. They said, you came from heaven to earth. To show the way from the earth to the cross, my dad will pay. <laughs> Theology was a little messed up, but it revealed what they believed about their father, their conviction that, you know, dad's loaded or he, he's generous, you know, and, and I, it revealed what they believed. I pray on a day like today that it reveals what we say we believe. It's, it reveals that. I, I actually see a day, I'm going to say this out loud in every service, just to be bold and brazen, but I believe there'll be a day when we have our legacy offering, an annual offering, that, that I'll come back and I'll say, we gave a million dollars from one offering. That day will come in Jesus' name. One million dollars is going to come on this day. So, so as, as Framingham Campus, the worship team's coming, and Ashland, the worship team can come here right now as well. I want you to understand something. This story changed everyone in the story. The little boy was changed. Can you imagine how that little boy's life was changed? <laughs> He's got five pita bread. And he goes, he goes home with food. Mom, you're never going to believe what happened. Time out. Panera needs to know this. <laughs> Tweet this. It had to be crazy. The boy's life was changed. All those people were changed. We don't know how we're going to fed. The, the food just kept coming, just kept coming. And, and listen, you can be changed right now too by this story if you pass the test, the multiplication test.